So I could be quoted as saying that the, um, the most significant thing that we need to be doing as believers is becoming more and more like Jesus. And for weeks and weeks on end, you, you will hear me talk about this, or in most of my messages, I'll, I'll reference the idea that, that we're to become more and more like Jesus. And so this is one of the reasons I love the book of John. Uh, John has this litany of interactions that Jesus has with people and the relationships that he develops with people and the conversations that he has. And so for me, it gives me a really good window uh, of looking into the life of Jesus and say, hey, you know what? I want to be like that. So today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that's going to be kind of our launching pad to a concept that Jesus, uh, through himself and his disciples, he just teaches this all throughout the scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17 and really camping in on verse 15. But John 13, verse 12 to 17. Now, if you don't know where the book of John is, don't want you to be ashamed by that. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there. Use it. It'll help you get familiar with where things are. So, John chapter 13, verse 12 to 17. And when you have it, would you read along with me? Here's what it says. When, they had, when he had finished washing their feet, now just to give you some context, this is Jesus' is, it, this is the Last Supper scene, and, and Jesus has just finished washing the feet of the disciples. And so it says here, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word, that we're going to be able to identify a tension that we have in life and through that, be able to choose you, be able to pursue you, pursue what it means to be more and more like you. In your name I pray, amen. So this passage of scripture um, for me is, is awesome. And the reason it's awesome is because it's a challenge from Jesus who says, listen, I'm here, I came to serve, and, and so you need to do the things that I do. You need to be about serving. You need to be about offering grace. You're not about position, not about authority, but about grace and truth and serving. And so there's two claims um, that, I, that I think is important that we understand that we're working from today. Now, the first claim would be this. Jesus developed his disciples in a very straightforward manner. He gave them information is one of the things that he did. He, he called them to engage this life through imitating him. And so he gave them information. He gave them a pattern to imitate. But it also, in to, on top of that, he also wanted them to engage the world through a sense of innovation. So I'm just going to break these things down a little bit, what, what I mean. So Jesus gave them information. He gave them a sense of knowledge. He gave them the information they needed to be able to understand both who he was and who they were in relationship to him and what they were then to go and do with it. So there's the information. He gave them um, a pattern of life to imitate in that he lived out his life in front of them. And in doing so, 
they got to see how he was full of grace, is full of grace, that he is also full of truth. And so he doesn't let just anything go. He speaks into things. Um, but along with that, uh, he was a servant. And so then this idea of, of becoming more and more like Jesus means that we start to emulate all the different things that were part of his life. He gave us a life to imitate. And then, of course, um, this idea of innovating how we go about doing faith and life and ministry because the way Jesus did things was very different than what was common to the day. And Jesus called on people who were not typically the ones that a rabbi would call on to be able to teach and serve and, and multiply with. And so Jesus did things differently. And I loved that. His message never changes, but the method can. Does that make sense? Message never changes, methods can. And, and so Jesus gave them this innovative heart to go about and say, listen, you're, you're going to go out there and, and you're going to deliver the word. You're going to deliver the good news and you're going to do it in a way that makes sense to the people that you're doing it with. Paul says it this way. He says, I become all things to all people so that by my actions, some may uh, receive the good news, right? Like and that's a bit of a paraphrase, but I think you understand what I mean. So that, that's like one claim. He developed his disciples in a very straightforward manner information, imitation, and then also innovation. Secondly, there is only one person's life that we are to pattern our lives after. Only one person's life to imitate. Um, and, and this is critical to us because if we understand this, there, there's an implication that we're going to talk about today uh, that is required of us in terms of how we maneuver with one another and with the world around us. And so Jesus essentially, he says here, I want you to believe and act like me. John 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he's not just talking about the washing of feet. And so if we are to be what Jesus is to us, if we're to imitate Jesus, and that is the only person that we are to imitate, and that's it. Like, it's that simple. We, we don't, um, we don't get to challenge people to imitate anything other than Jesus. Uh, driving the office one morning, there's a man who noticed a woman driving 65 kilometers an hour. and, and uh, Sorry, 65 miles an hour. It was a lot faster than kilometers. And, and her face was just pressed right up against her windshield, almost looking in the rearview mirror to try and get her makeup done. And, uh, and he looked away, and the next thing you know, she was halfway in his lane, uh, still putting on her makeup. As a man, he doesn't scare that easily, uh, but she scared him so much that he dropped his electric shaver and knocked the donut out of his other hand. In all the confusion of trying to straighten out the car, using his knees against the steering wheel, it knocked his cell phone away from his ear, which then fell into the coffee in between his legs, ruined his phone, soaked his trousers, and disconnected an important call, all because of that crazy woman driver. Of course, that's silly, right? Um, but isn't that kind of how it is? We have a tendency to compare how we think people should act with how we act, how we are. Uh, we want people to be just like us. And, and it makes me wonder, like, what is it about Christians that makes us want to legislate how others live out their faith? Like, what is it? 
that causes us to say, we have the right to determine how someone else is to live out their faith. Now, again, let, let's be clear. We're not talking about sin issues here. Sin issues are, are clear, right? Where, where there is sin present in a person's life, we are in, in brotherly, sisterly love to go over to them and have a conversation about that in order to bring them out of that sin into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. So, so that's not the same thing. We're talking about the stuff that doesn't really matter, and we have a tendency to legislate each other over it. Why are we so quickly threatened by how other people worship? How they pray, how they serve, how they behave, or even believe about certain things. It's almost as if we have this idea that, that for anyone to, or for us to be comfortable with others, they need to be as us, do as us, personally. Meet my preferences and my ways. You know, it's interesting because for people who claim to have a faith that provides freedom and liberty from rules, we're very quick to impose rules and regulations on other people. Maybe you've heard some of these things being said. I don't lift my hands in worship, so you shouldn't either. Have you heard that? Or, we don't dance, so all Christians who do are sinning. Now, I will tell you that in the community that we're in, uh, I've seen some people dance, and it looks a lot like sinning. It's just missing the mark altogether. Uh, how about you shouldn't listen to that Christian music with a certain beat because that beats from Satan. You heard that? As if Satan has some claim over beats. Christians who smoke shouldn't be allowed in the church. Or, or maybe something like this. Uh, you're not a stay-at-home mom. How can you call yourself a Christian mother? You weren't immersed at baptism? Well, then your baptism doesn't count. And if you don't read from this translation of the Bible, you're not a thinking Christian. Do you see what happens there? Nothing there is actually talking about the relationship with Jesus. It's all about these fences that we place up around people, these rules, these guardrails that we put up around people that have nothing really to do with an authentic relationship with Jesus we're just trying to protect them from what we would perceive to be a step towards sin. And so we create rules. And we say, imitate me. You catch that? Jesus tells us to imitate him. We live this Christian faith as if we want people to imitate us. And that is not what John talks about in John 13. Jesus very explicitly says, as I have been to you, I want you to be to each other and to others. Um, and so he's the one to imitate, not me. Rob is not the standard by which you need to determine how to live life. And so it seems to me that within our Christianity, we love Jesus and there are God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, church-worshipping people who set up rules for everyone else. And they're not trying to be legalistic, but we unintentionally do that. At least I know that I do as well. So here's the lie. The lie is, is that if someone else's Christian walk does not look like mine, then they're not being a good Christian if they're a Christian at all. That's the lie. It's interesting to me. I believe Isaiah 29 verse 13 has something to say about this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based, listen, 
on merely human rules they have been taught. Tell me, how many human rules have we established in life where we're asking people to imitate our preferences, uh, to live life according to those things instead of living life according to Jesus? This is the point. So there's this line. If it's wrong for me, then it's got to be wrong for everyone else, right? If it's wrong for me, then it has to be wrong for everybody else. Or if God requires me to do it, then every other Christian must do it too. Or maybe if we're not completely uniform in our Christian beliefs and practices, then someone is out of line. Now, remember, uniformity and unity are not the same thing. Unity says, hey, we're going to think a little differently on certain things, not the essentials of the Christian faith, but on certain practices, maybe um, certain beliefs, maybe even just certain uh, political ideologies, all that kind of stuff. We're going to think a little differently from each other. But unity says that we're going to allow that for each other and still be in good relationship with each other. Like we can love each other in spite of our differences. And sometimes because of our differences, because there's this idea uh, in the scriptures of iron sharpening iron. And I don't know if you've ever seen that happen, but there's sparks all over the place. But the beauty of the sparks being all over the place is that the, the two pieces of iron are getting sharpened. And honestly, there's stuff left on the floor that just needs to get swept away and tossed into the garbage because it doesn't contribute to the sharpness of the blade. And so when believers come together and we have differences of thought, not about sin and not about um, the scriptures themselves in terms of what is essential to the Christian faith, we give allowance for each other. We, and if we've offended each other, well, then we forgive each other, right? Like that's what we do. That's what we're called to. That's how we're supposed to be because that models the life of Jesus. And Jesus was quick to forgive people. Jesus was quick to tell people the truth. And Jesus was quick to get people aligned to the heart of the Father. So those are the things that we need to be about. He was quick to serve. We need to be about those things. But it seems to me that the lie that many Christians believe is that the imitation of man in man's traditions is more important or synonymous with Jesus' teachings. Well, let's understand this. Jesus offers a tremendous amount of more freedom than we do. Because our natural inclination is to say we want uniformity because it's easier, it's more comfortable, it's, it feels safer and more secure. But unity is better. And so Jesus brings this group of people together that would not see life the same way. He brought the tax collector and he brought the, the um, uh, well, he brought the tax collector and he brought Simon Iscariot together. And these are two guys that would have had nothing to do with each other. A zealot, which was a person who would just hated the idea of any ruling class having any authority over Israel other than God. God was the only authority over Israel. And so then the zealot would be a person who fought against that, challenged other Israelites on the basis of that. And if you were, if you were in any way accommodating to the Roman Empire, you were considered an enemy of Judaism according to 
the zealots. And so that's a pretty important thing. So you've got a tax collector who was certainly more than accommodating to the Roman Empire, and you had a zealot together as disciples that Jesus brought them together. Did they have different political ideologies? 100%. Different affiliations? 100%. Were both extreme versions of humanity that God shows that He can bring together into a form of unity? 100%. So unity is better than uniformity. But it seems to me that it's not uncommon for churches to become breeding grounds for legalism. Absolute breeding grounds for legalism. You may want a definition of legalism. Here, here, here's a working definition. It is the practice of establishing standards and spiritual performance in addition to or instead of God's standards and expecting that you and others will adhere to them. You catch that? So I'm going to say that again. It's the practice of establishing standards for spiritual performance in addition to or instead of God's standards and expecting you and others to follow them. Here's an example of what I mean. Growing up, um, I became a believer uh, a little bit later, and there was a friend of mine that brought me to his church. And he was um, not treated the best, I would say. Here's why. He had long hair. And so he would receive these little notes in his mailbox, and it says things like um, that you're sinning, essentially, to have long hair as a guy. Because that wasn't that person's preference. If you would wear pants instead of a skirt, some would say that you were sinning. If you raised your hands instead of in celebration of the Lord during worship, instead of just stand there in reverence, of the Lord and worship, which, by the way, both are valuable expressions of worship, they were considered to be sinning. But those are man-made, absolutely man-made. And yeah, we can try and make the Scripture fit what we want it to fit and, and that kind of thing. We can manipulate them, do these gymnastics with the Word of God. Uh, but the reality is, is that we have a preference. We're trying to cause other people to live life in the way that we want them to live life. So the imitation is not of Jesus. It's of our preference. And that's wrong. And we call that legalism. Legalism does not produce holiness. Like that, that's why legalism exists. It's this desire to see people leave the, live these holy lives. But the only way that a person is going to live a holy life is by conforming to the image of Jesus. So legalism does not produce holiness. God does. God does. That's the math of it. And there are five characteristics that are notable when it comes to legalism. One would be this excels only in the visible aspects of righteousness. It only excels in the visible aspects of righteousness. In other words, it's based on outward appearance, not what is real. If, uh, if, for example, if we wash our vehicle on Saturday to gain the approval of others on Sunday, that's a form of a legalism, right? Like it's, it's an outward expression we're trying to get others to evaluate us on the basis of what we're doing on the outwards rather than what's actually going on on the inside. Uh, secondly, it focuses on the easier commands of God. And the easier commands of God would be the checklist stuff that we can do, right? Uh, you know what the tough stuff of God is? 
The tough stuff of God is love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. That's the tough stuff. And then there's a tendency to say, hey, you know what, though? I'm, I'm going to tithe my 10%. That's an easy one. I can do that. I can just tithe my 10%. Um, I can pray for the people of the church. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. They're those things that we, we find very simple. But the difficult stuff of God is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so there's a tendency to focus on the easier commands of God. Uh, another one would be follows the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. Letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Classic example would be uh, the, the celebration of the Sabbath and how it's a day that you are not to work. Well, in, in, in Judaism, there was this practice of, of trying to figure out loopholes that they can use to be able to not work but still accomplish things so that they weren't sinning, right? And so they talked about things like, uh, yeah, like you're not supposed to leave your house kind of stuff. Or, and so then they would tie a rope um, and it would allow them to extend past their home uh, if they followed this rope and that kind of stuff. So there's all kinds of weird things that we do as a people to find the loopholes and things to be able to do the things that we want to do. Legalism follows the letter of the law and uh, not the spirit of it. It also neglect, neglects the more important morals. Legalism neglects the more important morals. Again, it's more focused on the outside, focused on the outside than on the inside. And so uh, that, that heart change piece, not as big a concern within legalism. It's more, what do I visibly see you doing? That's my greater concern, right? And then lastly, it, there's a distorted view of others due to the legal, legalism. A distorted view of others due to the legalism. And so what that basically means is, is that we have these rules that we set up for ourselves, that we determine are right, and, and we judge other people on the basis of the rules that we've developed. So what we're saying is, imitate me. Imitate my preferences, imitate my rules. And Jesus is saying here, in a culture where that was prevalent everywhere, where the Pharisees were, Jesus was constantly condemning them for their usage of legalism within the lives of other people. And I don't see us doing things that differently. So ask yourself, how much are you evaluating people, their walks of faith, on the basis of your preference rather than the basis of who Jesus is? Because we're called to imitate Jesus like you're not called to imitate Rob. You're called to imitate Jesus. And my responsibility, much like what Paul says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the idea here is not that you're actually, in fact, actually imitating me, but I'm going to pursue Jesus and I'm going to show you what Jesus looks like and you need to then follow Jesus. That's the idea. And Paul is talking about pointing people to Jesus. And Legalism has a tendency to point people to our preferences. It points people to our, our conditions that we would apply in life. And, and this is not something that Jesus calls us into. So there's the lie. The lie is that other people need to do their faith in a way that I am comfortable with. And if they're not, I get to question their faith. Now again, we're not talking about sin issues. We're not talking about the essentials within the Christian faith. We're talking about our preferences, really. Here's the truth. Ephesians 4, 
verse one to six says this, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you, listen, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So here's what Paul's doing here. He immediately is saying, listen, I'm a prisoner of the Lord and I'm urging you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so there is this understanding that is there a standard of life that we are to follow? The answer is absolutely yes. But who gets to determine that standard matters. And so he continues on and he says, and, and, and really he's talking about Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. Listen, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Sound like Jesus? Be patient. Sound like Jesus? Bearing with one another in love. How much did Jesus have to put up with with his disciples? And with everyone else around him. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, and, and then through that, right, there is this almost like a, a, a look back on Jesus' high priestly prayer when he calls us to this oneness uh, within the body of believers. He says, there is one body, one Spirit. You were all called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and is through all and in all. What's he saying here? He's saying there are some essentials to the faith. Now, the essentials to the faith in terms of our behavior, first and foremost, we need to keep within our minds this idea that we need to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Okay, so we have received a calling by God to become more and more like Jesus, right? Like this is it. This is what we are. And then in that, we are to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, which is the bond of peace. And then he goes on to reiterate this idea that we're called into this oneness and the oneness is the unifying factor in Jesus. One body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And catch it? This is the truth. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And the yoke of slavery they're talking about here into the Galatian church is that the, the Galatians were dealing with a group of people called Judaizers. So these were people who believed strongly that brand new Christians, like the Gentile Christians, the people that weren't Jewish, needed to first become Jewish so that they could then become Christian. And so the idea was that all the males had to get circumcised. And so this is this yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about here. So the question that we have then is, how many yokes of slavery do we ask people to follow into? The idea of yokes of slavery is the notion of legalism. It's the notion of, I want you to be more like me or in the way that I'm comfortable with which doesn't always actually point people to Jesus. Our, our desire should be to remove ourselves from the mix and say, hey, I want to help you become more like Jesus as I'm becoming more like Jesus. And there it is. And we leave it there instead of creating all these new rules and systems for people. Matthew 7 verses uh, 1 to 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Listen, this is important for us. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so the idea here is simple. Listen, you've got somebody who doesn't agree with you on something or you don't agree with them. And let's say they're doing stuff on social media that you're just not into. Or maybe you're doing stuff on social media that they're not into. Understand that when we apply this idea of judgmentalism, which is what's being referenced here, when we apply that to people, we're going to receive that right back. And none of us stand well in this, under the scrutiny of how we judge others. And so the best case forward in all of this thing is don't be judgmental. That's the idea here. Don't be judgmental. Why not? Well, because you're giving, like what's going to come back at you is the judgmentalism that you're giving others. You're going to receive that back. The measure by which you judge, you will be judged. Romans 2 verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And so we could tell somebody, oh, you know, you're not gracious or you're this or you're that. And, and ultimately some point in life, we're doing some of those same things and we're like, oh, but you can't hold me accountable for that. You can't bring that back on me. Yes, it can be brought back on you. The reality is, is that the scripture says that it will be brought back on you and we're condemning ourselves already when we do it because it's coming. The measure by which you judge, you will be judged. And when we judge, what we're ultimately saying is, I wouldn't do it your way, you should do it my way, and because you're not doing it my way, you're wrong. It's not the way we're to live our Christian walks. And again, we're not talking about sin issues. We're legitimately talking about things that are not essential to the faith and they're not sin issues. There are preferences. There are likes and there are wants. Romans 14.10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we, all, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So the idea here very simply is, listen, you're not the judge. Stop judging. All you're doing when you judge is creating strife between you and your brother or sister in the faith and recognize that God alone is the judge and all of us are going to stand before him. So let God be the judge. Stop being judgmental. And in our judgmentalism, let's understand that what we're actually doing there is a form of legalism. We're asking people to imitate us, not imitate Jesus. Matthew 7, uh, 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. You catch that? I think all too often we're far more concerned about what's going on in somebody else's life and not concerned enough but what's going on in ours. And we, we look at other people and we say, they have a plank, when Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have the plank, they have a speck, that's the perspective you're supposed to have so that there's humility in working with each other. See, so here's, here's how it works. Let's say you, you've got something going on in life and I've got something going on in life. If I view my thing as the speck and your thing as the plank, then my objective is going to be to come after you and be very judgmental towards you to try and get you to remove the plank that I see in your eye. And so that's, 
That's you being the focus and no real strong evaluation of self. But if I view myself as the one with the plank, do you know how much easier it is to apply grace to the person that I feel has the speck of dust? It's so much easier to apply grace because I understand that this plank that's in my eye, I got to get rid of this thing. I got to remove this thing. And the only way that I can ultimately remove this thing is at the foot of the cross. And so then because I view that as such a big thing, I'm able to view what's going on in your life and say, you know what? You got this speck in your eye. It's not good for you. And uh, my responsibility to you is to help you come to the foot of the cross to deal with that speck. It doesn't determine our relationship or anything else like that. I'm able to offer a grace while giving truth instead of judgmentalism. I'm not asking you to be like me. I'm asking you to be like Jesus. Romans 8.1, therefore, and this is important because there is, there is something that we're missing when we read passages like this, when we only apply it as recipients instead of also as sort of a, a manual on how to live with other people. Romans 8.1, people love this passage. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3.17, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You hear that? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you know what we don't get to do? We don't get to offer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus at all. We don't get to. And yet somehow we do it. We need to be more like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Our starting place has to be, who am I with Jesus? Jesus didn't condemn me. I am supposed to be to other people. According to John 13, 15, if I'm supposed to treat others the way Jesus treated me and Jesus came into the world not to condemn me, but to save me, then what does that mean in terms of my marching orders to everybody else? I don't get to condemn. And I don't get to ask people to be like me. I get to ask them to be like Jesus. There's a difference. It means that I have to Really be careful with my preferences and my wants and my desires. The great news of the Christian gospel is that God doesn't condemn his children either for their past or even their present behaviors, but he does hold us accountable. Okay? There's not condemnation, but there's absolutely accountability and discipline. And since God doesn't condemn us, we certainly can't justify condemning each other. It doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline us. Let's be clear about this. God's not okay with sin, ever. Ever. He'll always seek to root the sin out in our lives, but we're not condemned. Acts chapter 15 records a discussion at a conference in Jerusalem held by the church leaders to decide whether or not Gentile men uh, who had come to faith in Christ needed to be circumcised. So this references the book of Galatians that we talked about earlier. In other words, did they have to become Jews before they would become Christians? And Acts, the conclusion of this is Acts chapter 15, Verse 23 to 29, it says, With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and uh, Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from among us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. 
So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Here's what they say. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And in referencing this account, Paul actually writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is Peter, In front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you can force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so what he's saying here is, listen, like you're not doing it. Why are you asking these guys to do it? See what happened there? The Christian message has never been about rule keeping. Romans 14, verses 1 to 3, Accept the one whose faith is weak, listen, without quarreling over disputable matters. Disputable matters, not things essential to the faith, not things that are talking about sin. They're disputable matters, meaning they're things we can have dialogue about, discussions with, even disagreements with. But they're not foundational to the faith. And we are not to have any kind of quarreling over those things. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat anything, uh, eat everything, must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted both of them. Now, listen to what it's saying here. What it's saying here is that, is that there is going to be times in life where we're going to disagree with each other. And some people, like in this case, they're going to feel like, you know, within their conscience and, and, and certainly not eating uh, in an inappropriate way, they're not worshiping anything when they're eating any of this stuff. They're, they're leaning in the direction of, look, I can eat anything because God gave us this teaching through Peter, who was shown in a dream a blanket full of all kinds of meat and food, and God says, you don't get to say something's unclean when I tell you that it's clean. So there are those who can eat just anything, and then those who can't. And the ones who can eat anything, don't judge the ones who can't. And the ones who can't eat everything, don't judge the ones who can. This is talking about not betraying your conscience, but also not holding others accountable to your conscience. In other words, not trying to get everyone else to be like me. Stop trying to get everyone to be like me and help them to become more like Jesus. So how do we extend grace then to others? Because that's the way forward through this thing, right? How do we become more like Jesus and in all of our preferences and all our disagreements and that kind of stuff, how do we extend grace to people? How do we learn to extend grace to others? How can we grow comfortable with other Christians who may feel differently about maybe certain theologies or certain worship practices, styles, or even, I don't know, certain political ideologies than we do? Because we all know that we're all wired a little differently, and what one person is passionate about is not the same thing that another person is passionate about. Remember, Jesus brought the zealot and the tax collector together. And they had different passions and different motivations. And he drew them together anyway. So, how about this one? 
Here's some simple ways to be able to extend grace to people. This is what I want all of us to do so that we become more like Jesus. Here it is. Give other Christians to a permission to be different from you. Give other Christians permission to be different from you. Some people go to church um, and they don't get anything out of the music, but they love the message. Some people go to church and they don't get much out of the message, but they love the music. They're different. Is any less valuable? No. Both point you to the Father. Let them be different. It's okay. You ready? This is a tough one, but you know me, I don't like to mix words on things. So I'm just going to say it boldly. You ready? Keep your mouth shut and pray. How about that? How do we extend grace to others? Keep your mouth shut and pray. If it's not a sin issue, if it's not an issue of essential theology to the faith, in other words, nobody's twisting how salvation works, nobody's twisting who Jesus is or any of that other kind of stuff, then just pray for the people instead of trying to cause them to become more like you. You can have conversations and you can have you know, discussions and maybe they're, they're even riveting and, and the kind of discussions that you get impassioned with and that's fine, but you don't get to treat them like they're less. Third, remember that God is still working on others and you. And you see, we, we tend to want other people to give us grace, right? Well, I'm a work in, in, in progress. I, I haven't made it there yet. And we all confess that, right? We all say, look, I don't have it all together. I'm still working on it. And yet somehow through our thinking, we expect others to have it all together. And we treat them that way. No, stop it. It's not what we're called to don't judge people that way. Because when we judge people like they should have it all together, you know what we're bringing back on ourselves? That we should have it all together. And we know that we don't. And then we wonder why people get angry with us. or we, You know, all these weird things that take place. Look, God is absolutely still doing a work in you and doing a work in them. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus. So allow for God to be doing a work in them. Offer grace to people recognizing that they haven't made it all the way there and neither of you. And so because you haven't, plank eye, right? Because you haven't, you don't get to look at them as if they have a plank. You have the plank. Let them have the dust. And if all of us view ourselves as having the plank and others as having the dust, again, we're able to offer more grace to each other. Practice the discipline of confession. When we confess our sins to God and to each other, there's a humility that kicks in and that humility directly confronts any kind of self-righteousness that we might have about somebody else. So practice the discipline of confession. And I would say this, if it's not a sin issue, again, just pray. If it's not a sin issue, then pray. But pray that God will reveal to you why you're making a non-sin issue a sin issue. Because in that scenario, the brother or sister in faith is not the one that needs to be corrected. We are. We are. In other words, really what I'm asking is that we would know the difference between the gospel according to Jesus and the gospel according to me. What's the difference between the two? The gospel according to Jesus and the gospel according to me. I don't want people to be like Rob. I want them to be like Jesus. And in the same way, insert your name. People shouldn't be like blank. Insert your name. 
They should be like Jesus. And every single time I judge, every single time I uh, desire other people to do things my way, I'm asking them to be like me more than I'm asking them to be like Jesus. We've got to be careful with this because Jesus told us that he is the one that we imitate and that we treat others the way he's treated us. So maybe it's time that we get off our high horse. Maybe it's time that we stop trying to control everyone else's behavior because it's a heavy burden for us to carry. God's really, like he's actually big enough and strong enough to handle all of the things that we disagree on. He's big enough and strong enough to handle all the different worship styles that are out there. Big enough to handle the behavioral differences, the theological nuances, and the things that kind of show up in church. He really doesn't need our help. But you know what he does want? He does want us to let him govern the affairs of men. He really does. Again, we're not talking about sin issues. Where there is sin, we're to approach people. Because in doing so, in comfort and love and grace and truth, we're going to hopefully bring them out of that sin because we don't want anyone parked in it. But we do not get to force people to become like us on the things that are not sin issues. So, today, model Jesus' yoke of grace because it's better than our yoke of judgment. In other words, let's choose today to help point people to Jesus instead of pointing them to us. Let's choose today to help people become more like Jesus and less like us. 1 John 2.6 Those who claim to be in Jesus must live as Jesus lived. You catch that? Those who claim to be in Christ must live as Jesus lived. It doesn't say those who claim to be in Christ must live as Rob lives. Or insert your name. As live as Jesus lives. So the good news about what we have in the scriptures is that the more we read about how Jesus lived and the more we model that, the more we become like Jesus and less like ourselves. It's, it's really like John the Baptist when he says, listen, I will become less so that he becomes more. That's the idea here. That's got to be the, the tenor of our heart. We become less so that he becomes more. And in doing so, in doing so, the great imitation game is that people don't become like us. They become like Jesus. And when you're like Jesus, it's a far more contagious way to live, a far more gracious way to live, a far more truthful way to live. It's just an awesome way to live. I haven't made it there altogether yet. I'm trying. I'm better today than I was years ago. My encouragement to you is recognize that you're in process. Treat other people accordingly because they're in process as well. Don't make big things, little things, big things. Don't make things that are not sin issues, sin issues. Don't try to force people into your preferences. Give allowance for each other. Offer each other grace. And let's pursue Jesus together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that we would take a good look at, at how we interact in the world around us and that we would stop being people who try to force everyone to be like us. That we would move away from legalism, move away from judgmentalism, but rather, Lord, we would help people through grace, through truth, through love, through discipline, Lord, that we would become more like you. 
and that we would help others along the way in that as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you um, didn't come to condemn. And I hope, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to become a people who don't condemn. In your name I pray, amen.